Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 4 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, for the Week 8 preview show with none other than Friend in Life, the man who is updating projections around the clock. And I know it's a tough week to do so since we have so many questionable tags, even as of Thursday afternoon, it is none other than John Paulson. Paulson, how's it going? I'm doing well, John. Um, how you doing? I I feel like we are halfway, but we're not quite halfway. That's where I feel right now. If you're right in the middle of the season, and as you mentioned, lots of players coming in and out of practice, so it's like hard to keep track of who's going to play this week. Plus, we got everybody playing. So halfway through the, the fantasy, no yeah, halfway through the fantasy season. But other than that, still over half of the season left left and i'm not sure who is even good maybe four teams are good that's it but we'll talk about that as we move along and yes to your point every single team is playing this week and that's why i want to get right into it because there is a lot to discuss to go along with all those injuries and before we do remember everything we touch on today can be seen in full projections rankings waiver wire column to get ahead of those pickups Uh, DFS content as well at the end of the week with myself, TG Hernandez, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern and all of our articles and player pools. All of it can be viewed using the promo code YouTube at 44.com for a hefty discount. Because even if your redraft leagues are in the toilet already, DFS is here through the playoffs. So we will get that money back for you the best we possibly can, whether it's with our plays or the betting sub between Ryan Noonan and Connor Allen. Let's get into it with Thursday Night Football between the Bucks and the Bills. And I think it's a sneaky shootout and a good spot for the Bucks because we've seen their last two games now without Matt Milano and Tredavious White. The Bills are not a defense you are afraid of, allowing over nine yards per attempt through the air, over six yards per play on defense. Thus, I think Baker Mayfield is a sneaky streaming option if you need to go there in Superflex Leagues. Probably not since every team is on by. But more importantly, I do have faith in Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and this passing game and curious where you're ranking them this week. Yeah, um, Mayfield's matchup on paper, as, you know, as you mentioned, things have happened so that, you know, the defense isn't quite as good. But on paper, uh, AFPA wise, number three against quarterbacks. Interesting to see how he does. They can be run on the Bills. So, but... Can the can Rashad White run the ball? Can the Bucks run the ball? Can uh, Rashad White run against them? <laughs> Correct. Uh, but yeah, I have, I have uh, Evans pretty high. I'm a, a wide receiver, thirteen. They're not a, a pass defense that scares you anymore. Uh, Godwin was a little dinged up. It looks like he's going to play, so that's good. You know, with with this many with no teams on by with this many teams playing, he's not up where he would normally be uh, in a normal season. This has been a kind of a weird year for him. It's been really the Mike Evans show and Godwin's just sort of a complimentary piece, uh, which is unfortunate for his managers, but he's just sort of a five for 50, six for 60 type guy right now, not catching a lot of touchdowns, but I've got him at wide receiver 29 this week. He's in that Calvin Ridley, uh, Deontay Johnson, Amari Cooper range as a, as a, you know, solid wide receiver three. He'll be out there a lot of uh, snaps, but um, just not seeing the upside that we're seeing from Mike Evans right now from Chris Godwin. Speaking of the running back situation, how are you handling Rashad White? Because we did see him 
We've seen a couple of these backs now, actually. We know they're in timeshares, but in one-off situations, they'll separate. And that includes Rashad White, who last week even 19 of 23 running back touches. Uh, It doesn't matter on the ground for him, but the fact is he keeps seeing targets. And he's now had a double-digit target share in every game since week two. And that's what's pretty much kept him propelled for fantasy. So how are you navigating this situation, given that I think Chase Edmonds may also be back this evening? Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about Edmonds until we see him start to eat into to Rashad White's workload. Um, I mean, White only has one touchdown on the year, which is the primary issue. The other, there's a secondary issue, which is almost a primary issue, which is 3.2 yards per carry. Uh, so it, it really is the receptions that are keeping him alive. He's got at least three catches in five straight games. Uh, he had six last week. Uh, so in PPR formats, he's like a decent, you know, volume type play. And this, as you mentioned, this is not a defense that scares us. The, the Bills are likely to score a lot of points this week or, you know, the, tonight. And the, the Bucks are going to have to throw the ball to try to keep up and, uh, White should be the primary beneficiary out of the backfield. Uh, he's been seeing, you know, six, three, 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 five uh, receptions in the last five weeks. On the other side of the ball, we did see a tad separation for James Cook. Not that you can run against the Bucks anyhow, but Cook at least in their first game without Damian Harris did see over 70% of the team's running back touches his first time to do so since week one. Until that point, it had been in timeshare, and I figured they would just lean further into a 50-50 timeshare with Latavius Murray, but that wasn't the case at all. Do you think that continues into this week, and where do you have Cook ranked for everyone? Yeah, that was a surprise, wasn't it, uh, with Cook, um, you know, seeing 16 uh, of the 22 touches uh, last week. It was just sort of an odd thing happening after uh, the Damian Harris injury, we thought we would see maybe Latavius Murray in a 10 to 12 touch role. So I don't know if this is signifying some kind of sea change. Uh, usually, you know, last week does play a pretty big role in my, you know, backfield shares and, and whatnot. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm projecting him for a bit more in terms of, of backfield share compared to, to Murray. Uh, as you mentioned, the Bucks have not been a very good matchup for, Running backs, 3.3 yards per carry uh, allowed to running backs since week four. Uh, but they have um, given up 50 yards to opposing backfields since week four on average. So they are they can be beat through the air, and that might be someplace where uh, Cook can make some, make some hay. And finally, before we move on, because everyone knows to start Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, no need to stop there. How high do you have Dalton Kincaid ranked? Because... I was still questioning the breakout whenever Dawson Knox was available, but now Dawson Knox out for the foreseeable future, perhaps even the season following wrist surgery. Dalton Kincaid and every down tight end, we assume. I believe Quentin Morris is also out tonight. So there's really nothing stopping Knox from playing literally every down or Kincaid. There, yeah, there, there isn't. Uh, the only issue that I have with tonight is that the Bucks are number one in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. Uh, so they've been really tough on the position. But Kincaid's snap share should rise, his target share should rise, and given the nature of the tight end position, that makes him tight end nine after the top eight guys that we can we can trust. Kelsey Andrews, Hawkinson, Laporta, Goddard, 
Kittle, Waller, and Engram. And, and when I say trust, I'm using that you know word loosely. Some of those guys you can't really trust on a weekly basis. But Kincaid comes in at nine, uh, and then you look at the guys below him. Dalton Schultz, who had a, a few good games prior to buy. Logan Thomas has been in and out in terms of the being a heavy target for uh, Sam Howell. Taysom Hill is suddenly a thing now at tight end again, Jake Ferguson, et cetera. So I think Kincaid almost in every down roll, maybe 80, 90% of the snaps. And uh, that, that should put him in a pretty good spot tonight uh, against the Bucks. And Taysom Hill, a thing solely, I believe, because Jawan Johnson was out. Johnson expected return this game. So when people ask, oh, do I pick up Kincaid in these leagues where he's still available? Or like this other guy, Trey McBride, Taysom Hill, Logan Thomas, Jake Ferguson, the list goes on. My answer is yes. Kincaid over all of those guys and still starting him tonight. Since again, we're just looking for tight ends who play every single snap. And that's what Kincaid should do this evening. Moving on to Sunday, between the Texans and the Panthers. I think the Texans running backs are getting steamed a hair since before their bye, we saw Damian Pierce and Devin Singletary split touches, 50% 50 apiece. And on the surface, this Panthers defense looks acceptable against the run, but I believe they will be getting back both Frankie Louvu and Von Bell at box safety in this game. And so I question if the Texans running game is as safe as a lot of people assume. How are you ranking them coming out of the bye? And do you believe they will split touches as they showed the game prior? Yeah, and the game before that, it was just all Pierce, yeah. uh, if I remember correctly. So they've been kind of all over the place with their running back usage. It's not consistent week to week. So I, I just sort of assume, you know, Pierce is the better back uh, and he's going to see the lion's share if but he's not going to see like every down. I don't have that kind of confidence where he's going to be every down type player. The, the matchup is good. Uh, you mentioned there might be getting a couple uh, injury players back, which would help their defense, but their 31st and just fancy points allowed to running backs. So you're giving up six yards per carry to opposing backs since week four. Uh, they're, they're very susceptible. Uh, they have been very susceptible to this point. So I've got uh, Pierce ranked as a, you know, it, it's difficult with, like guys like Rashad White and Ramondre Stevenson, just guys that are struggling, Aaron Jones, not seeing the type of workload that we were hoping coming off of this injury. So I've got him at 21, Pierce. I think he's pretty safe for 15 to 17 touches. Uh, they probably will do a pretty run-heavy uh, game plan if, if they have success early. Uh, and then I've got Singletary down as a you know wide uh, running back 46. Uh, that might be a little bit low. Maybe these two should be a little bit closer together. And you're thinking at Singletary is kind of a sneaky start in a, in a pretty good matchup. But as you mentioned, those those re, uh, returning injury players might change the, the equation for the Panthers' uh, rush defense. It also sounds like Robert Woods will not play in this game and will be getting Tank Dell back from concussion protocol. So we think that the target tree continues to be safe, even with Noah Brown thrown back into the mix from injured reserve since he returned before their bye. We th think it's still safe with Nico Collins and Tank Dell. Uh, Nico Collins is the one in particular who I go to, if only because he's already shown us a ceiling. The Panthers also rank uh, first in the league in zone coverage used, and Nico Collins is 14th in yards per route run, 2.7 yards against zone coverage. So a player I have complete trust in if you're weighing whether to start him or not this week. Any other fringe options here like Tank Dell, where would you slide him into with Woods ruled out? 
Yeah, he was ruled out. I just wanted to mention that 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 was uh, confirmed. So I moved Tank Dell up. John Mechie got some uh, projections, uh, and as you mentioned, Noah Brown as well, kind of in the mix. But I think the two guys that you could count on uh, at receiver anyway are Nico and Tank Dell. Tank Dell is ranked at, as a wide receiver three. I have more confidence in him with Woods out, and I think Dalton Schultz gets a little bit of a bump too in terms of you know, trust, uh, with, with woods out too. Cause I think it's really right now, Nico tank Dell Schultz, and then the rest of these guys, uh, kind of fighting for, for catches on the other side of the ball between the Panthers running backs, Frank Wright came out on Monday and suggested that Miles Sanders or that he was open to using a committee, basically riding the hot hand, uh, the quote, Believe it or not, got taken out of proportion a little bit. He didn't actually come out and say that he's going to use a committee every game. Just toyed with the idea of it. But the fact is, I go back to the outlook before Chuba Hubbard got the start, and that was the fact that no one gets there if both players are involved because this offense is not good enough to get two running backs there. That's why prior to Sanders being ruled out, Hubbard was the RB46 in points per game. Sanders was just the RB36 in points per game. No one could get there as an as a actual top 24 running back. So what are your thoughts on this backfield, and what is a relatively tough spot against the Texans? Yeah, I think the exact quote was, uh, it's always going to be a little bit of a committee, which is, I mean, that's basically what's been happening. I mean, Hubbard's seen more touches than a typical RB2, so... Um, Reich didn't really make any news there other than to confirm that they're going to continue to do what they've been doing. Now, the one thing that might shift things is that Hubbard's been like significantly better running the ball. I mean, 242 yards on 54 carries this year, 190 yards on 61 carries for Miles Sanders. They're pretty equitable in terms of number of catches, but Miles Sanders' targets are a lot higher. So Hubbard's better as a receiver as well. So I don't know if they come out of this thinking, okay, we need to have Hubbard more in the lead role. And Sanders, given that he's got the shoulder injury, but he was full last, you know, yesterday, assume he's going to play. Uh, you know, maybe they shift things a little bit towards Hubbard. I have Hubbard slightly ahead of Sanders, but agree that it's really hard for either one of them to get there given what's currently happened. And I would give the odds to, to Hubbard since he's been more efficient. So I've got them at like 31, 32, or 30, 31, both ranked as RB3s. You can use them in a pinch, but uh, I wouldn't count on anything like we had, uh, you know, with Hubbard, uh, you know, with, with Sanders out. So, I mean, we, we do it. Hubbard was probably going to play a lot, and he did. He got a ton of touches last, last game. Make Little Caesars, the official pizza sponsor of the NFL, part of your game day. And now you can score even more pizza with your pizza. It's easy. Just order online during Little Caesars Pizza Pizza pregame, one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday, and become eligible for instant win prizes. And best of all, you pick the toppings you crave. I attended a live Scott Fishbowl draft over the summer and was convinced by a friend to try Little Caesars Pretzel Stuffed Crust Pizza with cheese sauce. And no hyperbole, it changed my life forever. Either way, everyone wins with Little Caesars convenient delivery or in-store pizza portal pickup. You can even pay for your pizza on the Little Caesars app and have your friends grab it on their way over to watch the game. That's how you enjoy a few slices 
during the tastiest hour before kickoff. Pizza, pizza. More memories are made when you're there for live NFL action. And when you need tickets, Ticketmaster's got you covered. As the official marketplace of the NFL, Ticketmaster gives you more ways to find your perfect seat. Their interactive seat map gives you 360-degree previews of your section to make sure you have the best views of those pivotal plays. And if your plans change, Ticketmaster gives you more flexibility to sell or transfer your tickets. Plus, mobile tickets make getting in on game day a breeze. You can even customize your Ticketmaster app to rep your team's colors. Find tickets today at Ticketmaster.com NFL. Price Picks is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform and one of the most exciting ways to play DFS. And best of all, Price Picks is simple. Just choose between two to six players and pick more or less than their Price Picks stat projection. It's that easy. And you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. But it doesn't stop there. Price Picks even offers in game projections. Imagine gathering at the house, watching football with all your friends, and building an entry to cheer for together, with more Devonta Smith receiving yards, or less Justin Fields rushing yards. Now, you can. Just go to prizepicks.com accurate, and use the promo code accurate to match your first deposit up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Adam Thielen coming out of the bye is also the wide receiver six and PPR points per game. Panthers change offensive coordinators to Thomas Brown, who comes from the Sean McVay coaching tree. Maybe we get a Haramore 11 personnel. Maybe we get a faster scheme. But ideally, the Panthers are trying to make life easier for Bryce Young. Does that mean anything to you in this first game? Anyone to monitor? Because I tried to sort through it thinking, okay, maybe it's, Jonathan Mingo for the post-buy rookie bump as a speculative addition. But other than that, since they gave Terrace Marshall permission to seek a trade before the trade deadline and Halloween next week, uh, I just don't have faith in anyone outside of Thielen. No, Thielen's been the man. Uh, I've got him ranked 12 this week. I think he's been just money in the bank right now. Like, and I get, I do get questions, you know, rest of the season, why is he ranked lower? And it's just an age injury thing. Like you just can't, count on him to play a full season but right now he's red hot um and i i don't know who else to 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 utilize in this offense at this point like i think mingo you could try to bet on the rookie thing he is playing a lot of snaps uh so you have that going for him but there just isn't a whole lot else going on in this in this passing game other than uh adam thielen we can't even count on hayden hurst or anybody really as receiver other than thielen for oh and for everyone in Dynasty Leagues, just in case you're curious about what you can get for Adam Thielen, I would know from experience this week because uh, I returned a 2024 second and third round pick and 2025 second round pick. Three options for Adam Thielen for any team who's trying to win this year. And you're like me and that team had no chance in hell of surviving this season. So that's your value right there. For the Rams and the Cowboys, it's a hard game for me to pinpoint because on one hand, Stafford has been an entirely different quarterback when he's been kept clean. Uh, eight yards per attempt from a clean pocket, 10th in the league. And the Cowboys on the surface seem like a team that would then give him issues under duress. But their injuries are catching up. Trevon Diggs before the bye injured. And also, they will now be without Leighton Vanderesh, 
So I don't know anymore if they're an above average defense, honestly. Not only that, but the Rams did have success, at least on the ground, moving the ball between Daryl Henderson and Royce Freeman. So let's start there. How do you view those two backs in this game? Yeah, that was that was a funny one. We were all sitting there trying to parse, you know, Sean McVay's press. Funny is one word for it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and really the, you know, the recommendation was to try to stay away until we had more clarity as to how the touches were going to uh, shake out. And, you know, right before game time, I think we had a pretty early word on Sunday that it was going to be Henderson and Freeman uh, as the top two in, in some order and uh, Zach Evans backing them up. And then it was right before game time that uh, Henderson was announced as the starter, uh, which might not mean a whole lot. You know, it might just be 50, you know, 51, 49 type of split. Uh, but it turned out he ended up uh, playing 57% of the snaps, uh, 60% of the carries, 61% of the touches, ended up with 19 touches. Wasn't particularly efficient. Uh, Royce Freeman was actually better as a runner, 66 yards on 12 uh, carries. Uh, Henderson, 61 yards on 18 carries. So that right there might shift things back towards Freeman a little bit. If McVay looks at that and says Royce Freeman ran better, let's give him a few extra carries and we have a 50, 50 timeshare. So I don't have a lot of confidence in either one of these guys. It's sort of a similar situation as to the Carolina Panthers, where if they're splitting, you can't really get there. You know, the upside I think is that they did give Henderson 19 touches in his first game back off the street. So to say, you know, so to speak. Um, so, if they are trying to build off of that, you could look at him as an 18 plus touch type guy. Um, but I don't know that, you know, his rushing yardage uh, really justifies him staying in that role over Royce Freeman. Henderson also, apologies if you said this and I blanked out, uh, all three of the teams running back carries inside the 10 yard line. So did that's not, also, that's that. how, okay, good. Uh, that's how I view the situation, which is why I personally still have Henderson ranked over Freeman. I'm guessing we also get Miles Gaskin active this week. That's what reports have suggested. And if so, he would be active in place of Zach Evans, unfortunately, because Gaskin also, like Royce Freeman, plays special teams. So we may see Zach Evans just go from being sprinkled a lot of fab on on Tuesday to a week and a half later being inactive. Unfortunately for all of us, you just have to eat him on our rosters. For the Cowboys... I was a little more encouraged in Tony Pollard's usage. He's not getting there. It could be because of the way they use him strictly under center. It could be because of him recovering from his own injury from the offseason. Thus, he's one of the least explosive backs in the entire league right now. But 21 of 24 backfield touches in a game script that finally allowed the Cowboys to play in one score throughout. And so that was encouraging, the fact that they didn't use Rico Dattle at all and finally a one-score game. So if we assume that's what's going to happen against this potent Rams offense, I again go back to Tony Pollard with the utmost faith and just hoping his touches get us there. Yeah, he's a volume-based play right now, and I think we kind of headed into the season thinking that he was, you know, very talented. I think we probably are still on that on board with that, but just not seeing the rushing production that we saw last year on a per-touch basis. Uh, he did get the 80 receiving yards in his last game. Um, and this this matchup is not particularly good. The 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 Rams are giving up about 84 yards rushing to backfields per game, 21 yards receiving, 3.95 yards per carry. But it's not like this really stout rush defense either. So I think Pollard should have a 
solid game. Maybe he's feeling a little bit um, more refreshed and you know healthier now, and uh, they can they can get get the running game going a little bit. And for the Cowboys passing game, I think we only have faith in Steedy Lamb now. Uh, Brandon Cooks gets there with a touchdown last week, but not something either he or Michael Gallup I'm looking to run out there specifically for this week with no buys. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a weird target tree, right? Uh, Gallup has popped his head up a few times. Uh, Cooks had a touchdown recently. Uh, Jake Ferguson uh, has been playing a lot of snaps and had been seeing quite a few targets, but last week, I think, or last game, he only had one target. So it's hard to put a lot of faith in anyone other than CeeDee Lamb, who had a little bit of squeaky wheel um, treatment in the last game. He, he saw a little bit more uh, work. So I think he's the most talented guy and the, you're obviously your best bet. I don't think you can trust anybody else in this offense. I think maybe Ferguson is worth a flyer, uh, you know, as a streamer. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I don't, I don't really wouldn't feel good about running Gallup or Cooks out there. I'm still on the fence whether Ferguson is going to break out or just not be used at all. I can't tell which one. Um, even last week, though, at least his only a second game on over 80% of the routes. Again, it was a one score. So if you think this one is one score, I would imagine that uh, Jake Ferguson is out there for nearly every snap again, which is encouraging, and then just hope for the best. Packers at the Vikings. And everyone wants to know, like, what's going on with Christian Watson? How can he get not get there? And I would just tell you to watch Jordan Love play professional football, and you will see how Christian Watson does not get there. Because Jordan Love now is dead last in the league in completion rate, 24th in yards per attempt. He's completed just 37% of his passes, 10 yards downfield. Having said that, there's something fishy going on with this line. Because the Vikings, who are the significantly better team, playing better defense too, should be heavier favorites but Vegas isn't budging from them being one-point favorites at home. And I think even our projections are showing the Vikings defense, although they should be an amazing play against Jordan Love, are actually not grading out well. So something's going on here. And all I can point to, Boston, is really Kirk Cousins' history against Green Bay, even going back to his most recent game last year. This is the Jair Alexander shuts down Justin Jefferson. Kirk Cousins essentially gets benched through three quarters. Uh, that was that game. And so that's all I have off the top of my head. But go ahead and talk about the Packers offense. Yeah, I just pulled up the Vegas lines because I, I remember uh, running the projections and it was all over the place. It was either Vikings favored by one, uh, Packers favored by one, a pick them. Uh, but now it's kind of settled into Vikings favored by one and a half. Packers, obviously the one and a half point underdog. Um, the Viking, I mean, I don't know if the Vikings defense is playing well. They had a good game against the a, kind of a banged up 49ers defense at home. Uh, I still worry about Kirk Cousins on the road without Justin Jefferson. I think that's a you know slight concern for the offense. They are going to be very pass happy, even though they should be able to run the ball well uh, on the Packers. The Packers are one of the worst rush defenses in the league. Uh, as you mentioned, Jordan Love not playing uh, maybe as well as he did early in the season, and things are kind of crashing back to earth, and we have to kind of reset our expectations for this Packer passing game. He's had, uh, you know, he had his full complement of weapons uh, against the uh, the Broncos last week, and they scored zero points coming out of the bye in the first half. Kind of turned things up in the second half, but didn't get there. Uh, didn't get the didn't get the win. So, 
I mean, I think all in all, we're, we're okay with Kirk Cousins as a low-end QB1 in a kind of a weird week at the QB position. We're great with Jordan Addison. Uh, Osborne's a desperation dart throw at this point. He's not he's not doing as much as maybe he, he might have expected with uh, Justin Jefferson out. Hawkinson is rock solid. Uh, and then, you know, really, other than that, I don't think we have a lot of confidence in any other player in this game. No, because... Again, going back to running backs being put in finicky situations, I think we see now that a couple weeks ago with Cam Akers was the outlier for Alexander Madison when they leaned on him for the most touches because even this upcoming, even this past week, they split touches between the two. And Joe Buck even said on the broadcast that uh, this team wants to use Cam Akers in the future, which is which usually means that in the players' coach meetings, like the coach tells them something they're not supposed to share on air, and so they try to share it in a way that hides what the coach actually said. So losing even more faith for Alexander Madison. What are you doing with the Packers receivers, though? Christian Watson, we're expecting to play. Uh, Luke Musgrave, I'm not sure yet, after he suffered that what they called an ankle injury following his headhunting from Kareem Jackson. Yeah, Musgrave, I believe, was a DNP today uh, with the ankle injury. So he's starting to look a little doubtful. He's at 22 right now in the rankings, but can't count on him. If he's out, you know, you might see a couple of those tight end targets go to the receivers. Um, it looks like Christian Watson is going to play, but, you know, we don't have a ton of faith right now. He's ranked as a, you know, high upside wide receiver three in that Tank Dell, Kedrick Bourne, Michael Pittman range for me right now. Dobbs is more of a wide receiver for uh, he has a target uh, around the goal line quite often. And then, you know, Jaden Reed is just kind of, you know, really desperation dart throw as wide receiver five or six. Um, so it's just, it's just this, uh, I've, I've just kind of lost confidence in Matt LaFleur sorting things out after this really terrible performance coming out of a bye. Like that was an opportunity to really right the ship in a get right game against the Broncos and zero points in the first half. So just really discouraging if you're a Packer fan or a manager of one of these, uh, these players that you're, you're hoping can start for you. I don't think you can start. Everyone's in their own situation, but I don't think you can start Aaron Jones either. Uh, we just have zero amount of faith. Like he's actually healthy and that they will actually give him more usage even getting Emmanuel Wilson involved last week when Aaron Jones practiced all week. Yeah, I mean, I think he he is now back. To, if he avoids a if he avoids injury, which I think he avoided a, a tweak. I mean, they're just so conservative with their injuries that if they bring somebody back, now they're on a snap count. And he was looked pretty good in his touches, but that final drive, it was all AJ Dillon, and this is like a must. You know, I mean, AJ Dillon had a good catch and run, but. You know, you, you you need first downs on this final drive to get into field goal position, try to win the game, and you don't have Aaron Jones on the on the field. And it's really, you know, questionable in terms of, I guess, just sticking with their snap count for him. Does he continue to ramp up? I mean, I think uh, LaFleur said in a press conference that they're hoping to give him more touches this week, but it's all depending on his health and how he feels. I've got him at 24 this week. He's more of a high upside RB, low-end RB2. Uh, you could see him certainly turning in a, an RB1 week, but he's not seeing you know the 15 to 20 touches uh, that we were hoping for when he was being drafted. DeAndre Swift, the only running back to exceed 65 rushing yards against the Packers all year. Uh, 
all right, against the Vikings all year, Vikings that are allowing 3.5 yards per carry on the ground as a stout run defense. Saints at the Colts. And the situation is great for both these offenses because both quarterbacks are so bad that they have to keep their foot on the gas throughout the game. Like Derek Carr now, over 300 yards in back-to-back games because he gets his team down. Also, 50-plus pass attempts in both of those games. Not only that, but we target offenses who play Shane Steichen and the Colts. Even in Gardner Minshew's three starts this year, the Colts have are number one in most combined points per game, averaging a league-high 47 dropbacks, 75 plays per game, and 15 per week drives. They're not taking their foot off the gas, even though it's Minshew rather than Anthony Richardson in those starts. And for me, it's easiest to start Josh Downs, not only because he's coming off the bigger game with one more target than Michael Pittman, but also because Downs now, the last two weeks from Gardner Minshew and his starts, out-targeted Pittman 65 in the red zone, and the Saints have allowed the eighth-most points per game to opposing slot receivers because they play such a high rate, a top-five rate of man coverage, that Marshawn Lattimore just stays on the boundary where Michael Pittman stays. So the slot is where we target them. I have the utmost faith in the world in Josh Downs this week. Yeah, I got him pretty close, Pittman and, and Downs. I do still have Pittman ahead, but you're looking at these matchups, and Elante Taylor in the slot is definitely the, the matchup you want to attack. Uh, if you're the Colts, uh, while Pittman's going to be up against Mar- Marshawn Lattimore and Paulson Adebo uh, outside. So there is some concern there. Pittman has been uh, the favorite target for Minshew, but as you mentioned last couple weeks, I mean, obviously Downs had a great game last week, so and he's been he's been trending up as well. So agree with you there. Uh, in principle, I might move Downs ahead of Pittman. It's hard to move. It's hard to make that switch at this point, but uh, it certainly... The logic is there, I should say. They they formed their own little Dolphins, poor man's target tree, at least, because it is Pittman from Minshew has a 28% target share, Downs who has a 22%, and the next closest is Alec Pierce at 12%. Uh, no one else is involved. Like the Colts running backs are a committee. The Colts running backs are being targeted at the third highest rate now in this indie offense. Uh, last week even, coming off 40 combined touches between Taylor and Zach Moss, but they're doing it together. If Zach Moss, who was a DMP on Wednesdays, out, everyone knows the reaction. You go straight to Jonathan Taylor. That's easy. But for the most part, they're just cannibalizing one another, and everyone at least is enjoying it because you can flex both at this time. Yeah, I think Moss came back today. Uh, it's a, I think it's an, a lower leg injury. Uh, but, you know, 21 touches for Taylor, uh, 18 or 19 from from Moss they split snaps exactly evenly but this is this is trending Taylor's way uh this may remain this way for a bit but Taylor was the second fiddle two weeks ago and now he's in a you know RB1 timeshare with with Moss I would think that given all the money they spent on him that if he's doing he's outplaying Moss which he did last week that he would eventually be getting into his uh RB, RB sole RB one role, but I don't think they're going to have forty backfield touches every week. I mean that's tough. So we'll see how long Moss stays viable as a flex play. I think Taylor is a good start this week, though. He looks like he's getting back to his self, and he you know looked energized and had over hundred, almost hundred twenty yards total and a touchdown. And they're being used as uh, receivers, as you mentioned. 
Derek Carr is my favorite streaming option this week. As mentioned, we're going to get the volume. Colts also generating the league's fourth lowest pressure rate, so we're not worried about him being under duress too much. And because of that, I also want to go back to leaning on Chris Olave and in deeper leagues, Rashid Shahid. Both players I have immense amount of faith in. The Colts, the Saints are quietly passing from three wide sets at the league's fifth highest rate. And outside of that 34 to zero beatdown of the Patriots, Rashid Shahid has been on the field for a route known over 80% of dropbacks. And he's sustaining his target share. And three of those last four games, so the three he's been running routes in, he has a 15.4% target share to Chris Olave's 20.5%. Alvin Kamara, who's not even earning targets, he's just getting dump offs from Derek Carr. But Alvin Kamara is the one who's obviously just leading the way. He's been targeted on 37% of his routes, the highest among all running backs. It's absolutely insane. Brees Hall is the next closest for reference at 27%. So I do have an immense amount of faith in Olave and Shahid thinking we get the volume through the air here. Yeah, and 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 I think Michael Thomas is worth a look too as a floor play in, in, in PPR formats. He did get the touchdown last week. Uh, so all three of them, I think, are viable against the Colts. Um, you know, I... You know, I, I'm I'm not as high on Olave as the rest of the industry. Oh, uh, got, we need to get you higher. On well, I've got him at I've got him at twenty, and he did have the fifteen oh, targets. No, no, no. He did have you the fifteen. Up, buddy. He did have the fifteen targets. Uh, it just doesn't seem like the connections there with with Carr, but maybe this is the get right game. They are prairie yards because Derek Carr is completing the sixth low. He's the sixth lowest on target rate on throws ten yards downfield. But also, Chris Olave, remember, just last year, fifth in yards per route run among all players in zone coverage. He saw 60% of his targets against zone coverage last season. And the Colts, as we know, the second highest rate of zone coverage, Gus Bradley basically doesn't come off cover three. Um, I would I would get much higher on Chris Olave. I'm going to force you into that decision. And also, again, I'm playing Rashid Shahid too. I think it's a great spot for both. The Patriots at the Dolphins, question marks everywhere. Because starting with the Dolphins, Tyreek Hill back at practice on Thursday at least. So I'm assuming he plays. Jalen Waddle limited practices after his back injury. He returned on Sunday night, but still dealing with that. Raheem Mostert dealing with an ankle injury. Um, and then, of course, on the Patriots side of the ball, because Juju Smith-Schuster has been out the past two games, we've seen Kendrick Bourne be elevated with a 35% and 23% target share. So lots of moving pieces here. Paulson I think if everyone's healthy though we know the pieces to play anything else anyone needs to know about like the Dolphins and Patriots offenses well I think you, you have confidence in Hill for sure you you feel pretty good about Waddle but not as great maybe as last year Bourne I think is still being slept on whenever he uh sees 75 80 percent of the snaps he seems to deliver he'll have a quiet game here and there uh but given all the injuries in that uh receiving core he's been playing 90 percent of the snaps and i think he should be out there certainly in a game against the the dolphins which you know will be high scoring most likely uh so from a passing game standpoint that kind of sums it up i don't think we have a whole lot of confidence in the tight ends in this game uh most it seems fine he's back so he should be okay uh, i don't know what to expect out of jeff wilson in this for you know second game back now he didn't play a whole lot uh, ahmed was ahead of him last week so um it's it's Mostert at at running back. Uh, Stevenson and Zeke are splitting time in the in the New England backfield, but you know Stevenson's still ahead of of, of uh, Elliott in the rankings. 
Uh, just don't have a, lot, a whole lot of confidence in his touch floor at this point. Most are definitely back on the RB1 radar. Uh, last week, clearly, the game plan was to not intelligently run into the teeth of Philadelphia's defense. Just 11 running back carries overall. Mostert still 10 of 14 running back touches. So the exact usage we thought he would have. Um, maybe Jeff Wilson eats to it, and maybe with their receivers banged up, they do lean on their running backs more. And so that's why I'm still very easily, like a lot of people, starting Mostert not worrying about it. The last time these, these two teams played in week two as well, they had 22 running back carries. Moving on to the Jets of the Giants. I have a little more faith in the Jets offensive players than a lot of people because it's very clear what's going to happen. Brees Hall before the bye, a season high, 77% of the Jets backfield touches. Now he has that two weeks rest. He's going to come out and destroy everything. That's easy. Also, we know exactly how the Jets play defense and Wheat Martindale blitzing at the league's third highest rate. He's never seen a snap that he doesn't like to blitz on. And Garrett Wilson is the only receiver in the league averaging a 40% target share against the Blitz. So that's where the targets are going this game. So those two players I'm high on. Cross your fingers, they score a touchdown. Other than that, no thoughts on the Jets. What about you? You summed it up. Brees Hall at RB5. Uh, feeling really confident about him rest of the season. Garrett Wilson, high volume, low target quality receiver uh, for the Jets in this game against the, the Giants, who are 13th in just fancy points allowed to, quarter, uh, to receivers. Not a, not a big concern about this matchup. On the other side of the ball, the Giants have been much more potent in softer spots, albeit, against the Bills defense, we've already said, is not the same unit they were, given all the injuries, and commanders who everyone gets there against. Tyra Taylor, even, the QB6 on the week, uh, 20, no, eight plays of 20 yards for the Giants last week, because that's how bad the commander's defense is. But Tyra Taylor has still moved the ball so much better than Daniel Jones, who just cowered under pressure. So I have a little bit of faith in the Giants' passing game. The Jets return from their bye, I'm assuming, a lot healthier in their secondary, which could shut them down entirely. But if you're desperate for a flex play, I think Jalen Hyatt would be the option here now in his last two games because he's been in the Giants' three wide sets. Before that, he was just a bench player. Uh, he has tied – no, he leads the league with 67% of his targets, 20 yards downfield. So like a thin flex option for 12 and 14 team leagues if you need to get there because he at least offers a ceiling. Any other thoughts on the Giants' offense? No. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Saquon uh, – don't be afraid to use him. The The Jets did do a good job on uh, DeAndre Swift, uh, 10 carries for 18 yards. But over you know since week four, they've given up 4.7 yards per carry to opposing running backs, 65, 65 yards receiving on average to opposing backfields since week four. So Barkley can get there a number of ways this week. Uh, I, I don't share your confidence in the passing game of the Giants. I don't know if I would call it confidence. It sounded like a tepid confidence, but trying uh, to find a flex play if yeah. you need to. Yeah. Yeah. The Jets, the Jets are number one in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers. Uh, you know, Walt Waller seems like the big winner here from the Tyrod Taylor change at this point. Waller, the past three games, 29.6% target share back in our lives is the tight end five in points per game utmost confidence in starting him. For the Steelers and the Jaguars, everyone wants to know what's happening to Calvin Ridley, and it's genuinely just because, as we talked about last week, they don't even look at him 
when when the other defense plays man coverage. Only six targets all year against man coverage, and it's basically because he's being used as a downfield decoy outside the numbers, the hardest targets to catch, the most 50-50 balls headed his way. And I'm concerned it's the same thing because the Saints play man coverage at a significantly higher rate, which is why we expected Ridley to finish much further behind Christian Kirk. 57% of their defensive snaps last week against the Jaguars. The Steelers play the ninth most man coverage, not to that 57% extent, but still on a third of their defensive snaps. So if Trevor Lawrence is yet again not going to look Calvin Ridley's way, then maybe it's another just Christian Kirk only game. What is your thoughts on the Jags passing attack? Yeah, this is a weird one too. I reached out to Matt Harmon about Ridley. Like he's a good, really good route runner. Why, why is he not being targeted versus man? Uh, he wasn't, he just thought it was a small sample size situation. But as far as the like trends that we're seeing, it, it's it makes sense. Uh, but I, I think you, you laid it out pretty well in that, the Steelers are not as uh, man-heavy as the Saints were, so there's a chance for a Ridley kind of a bounce-back game, a solid game from him. But I, you know, I have Kirk well ahead of him uh, this week. I have Kirk at 15, Ridley at 28 this week with all these players available. Since there's nobody on by, um, it's it's a big, it's probably the biggest disparity. Um, it has to be this season in terms of between these two. Uh, receivers is just the way the trends are heading, uh, given given the splits that you mentioned. Everyone knows to start Travis Etienne since he leads the league in touches per game, uh, literally gets every single role you can imagine. On the other side of the ball, though, I did think Najee Harris pulled the wool over our eyes. A, a touchdown gets him there. But other than that, we know how useless those carries have been to this point. And now they get a Jaguars defense allowing just 3.4 yards per carry to opposing running backs. Even Alvin Kamara, I know this from experience because I had his under rushing yards tied everywhere, and he only got there over 45 rushing yards because he had a 15-yard carry inside the two-minute drill during garbage time and a, with a delayed handoff. So otherwise, he also wouldn't have got there against this Jags front seven. So I still have very little faith in Najee Harris getting there, especially with no teams on by. And that's how I'm viewing, personally, the Steelers running backs. Yeah, timeshare, a bad matchup for him. Uh, it, it, the only interesting thing about the the Steelers rushing uh, backfield split last week was that it was a 17-7 to touch split, even though the, the snaps were a lot closer than that throughout the season, the split has been a lot closer than a 17 to seven, seven ratio. So I don't know if they're trying, uh, maybe Harris did have a bit of success last week and that's why they started feeding him in 14 carries 50 something yards. So um, I don't think he'll have that sort of success this week against the Jaguars. This will probably be a, you know, a pass happy offense. I think, uh, you know, against the pass funnel uh, Jaguars this week. For the Falcons at the Titans, there's really not much to say because we're going to get Will Levis starting, uh, Malik Willis, as they have suggested, mixing in in a hell quarterback committee, and then what the Titans want to do, run the ball with Derrick Henry ahead of the trade deadline, you can't do against the Falcons allowing 3.7 yards per carry to opposing running backs. So I would imagine it's basically a Falcons defensive game. You can start Drake London. Other than that, any thoughts on the backfield after Arthur Smith did not report 
Bijan Robinson's headache before the game. What is your, uh, I just am curious on your take on Arthur Smith's uh, press conference uh, mentioning fantasy football in a disparaging way, oh. uh, basically condescending to the reporter about a, a valid question about Bijan's uh, status last week. I've always had an issue whenever football people, and this goes, some reporters do this too. When people who discuss football, analyze football, use the term fantasy football as a way to like put themselves on a pedestal to like bash football, thinking fantasy football is below them. Whenever like I'm in both streets, I'm betting, I'm playing DFS, I'm understanding coverages and I'm understanding football in order to help myself and everyone else get better at fantasy football. So one, to think you're above that is insane because I feel like you need to understand both. Even there's this clip surfacing on social media where uh, Chargers rookie runs over to Travis Kelsey after that game this week, and he just tells him how much he admires him. But really, he asks him, any any advice you have for a rookie? And he Travis Kelsey says, the one thing I can say is understand the other side of the ball as much as you do your own position. And like that's what we're trying to do. Like We're trying to understand real football because it makes us better at fantasy football. Not only that, but I also don't care. Sorry to go on this soliloquy. I also right. don't care about Arthur Smith, like not using his players. Cause our job is also to not put players that we want to be in those positions in those positions. Our job is to say, Hey, Arthur Smith doesn't use Kyle Pitts, right? Like this past week, even Mike Clay at ESPN noted Arthur Smith used Kyle Pitts as their starting slot wide receiver. And that's terrible for football because he then plays against cornerbacks when you should be using this first round player you drafted as a unicorn athlete against opposing linebackers. That's just logical football. That makes your team better. So I don't care about that because it's our job to tell everyone that's what they're doing. But I, it is organizational malpractice. Like you should be fired for your job at your job. If you use three first round players in their worst ways possible on the field, you don't need someone who works in fantasy football to tell you you're bad at your job doing that. So that's kind of how I view it. I, I think he's a dunce. Uh, yeah, I think I saw somebody tweet. I can't remember who. I'd love to give him credit. But the when you realize and you learn that he's the son of a billionaire, uh, yeah. it probably hasn't had to work too hard. I mean, I, to get to the NFL level, you do have to work really hard. But he's had every opportunity. To it, just when you get, get the entitled uh, kind of condescending attitude off of him, you understand that he grew up extremely rich. It explains a lot. Like he doesn't have to answer. He doesn't feel like he should or have to answer it. anybody. He feels like the press is below him. And when something weird happens, like this Bajan Robinson thing last week, I, I mean, I think that if he was feeling bad and wasn't going to get his usual workload or hardly any workload, then he shouldn't have been active for the game. I think that's, I mean, that's the way the NFL NFL views it. But they gave him this one carry late in the game as some sort of justification. I guess I don't know. So. Regardless of all that, I, I agree with what you're saying about the our job and what his job is, and it's just nonsense. I just wanted to bring that up to see what you thought. Um, the Falcons are not a good matchup for Derrick Henry. I do think that he could get there certainly as a volume play, as he does often. He also is very good in the passing game when he does catch passes. If they do target him, uh, they did give up 60-something yards to uh, Rashad White last, uh, last game. Uh, the Falcons did, so... Uh, I, I still think Henry is certainly very startable. And you mentioned the the trade possibilities that could be featuring him. 
uh, for a trade to show that he still has it. So, you know, with, with this quarterback change, you don't want to play any of these Titans pass catchers, like avoid it. Even Hopkins, like I wouldn't trust him. I would you only may use him. be forced to, but you definitely aren't looking to. For sure. Yeah, you don't want to. He's a wide receiver three, four, or wide receiver four, I think, for me this week. And I, I would not want to play him, even though he's most likely going to lead this team in targets. Uh, Will Levis, for example, recorded an FBS high 24% sack rate on third down last year and averaged an interception for every 26 and a half attempts. It's just absolutely pitiful. And that's why he wasn't a good prospect and he slipped for it. Um, the NFL yeah. made him pay for it. Yeah, and if you're looking to stream a defense, the Falcons' defense is live oh, yeah. live streamer this week. They were number one on the waiver wire last week, understanding we were getting ahead of either Malik Willis or Will Levis. That's how we play the game. Uh, for the Titans, though, I still have faith. You've talked about the running backs, what you're doing with them. Uh, I still have faith in Drake London. That's the one guy I keep coming back to here, just because now... His 5.5% target share is, again, just so far in the past. He's been over 23% of the team's targets in each of his last four games and five of his last six, and the Titans are top five in fantasy points allowed to opposing boundary receivers where he runs his route. So definitely just going to keep going back to him. For the Eagles at the Commanders, we've already seen this matchup in week two, and everyone has questions about the team's target tree. Because since week three, whenever Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown got into that screaming match over whatever it was, doesn't matter. Uh, since that time, A.J. Brown has seen 34.5% of the team's targets. Devonta Smith has been the next closest as a barely flexible player at 19.5% of their targets. But we can look and say, at least in this game, this was Devonta Smith's highest finish of the year as a wide receiver 10. And the last time, actually, he's finished as a top 36 wide receiver. So, yes, A.J. Brown, an amazing player, offensive player of the year candidate. But I also have a lot of confidence in Devonta Smith in this matchup. Interesting. I was playing with Devonta's. And you look at his target share and his, you know, just basically stat shares. And if he just went with that, he'd be ranked as a low-end wide receiver three this week. Uh, but the matchup is fantastic. Uh, outside so receivers good. do very well against uh, the, the, the commanders. Um, I mean, the only thing that gives you pause is that you have uh, A.J. Brown with five straight 125-yard games. Has anybody ever done that before? No, I, it's it's literally the first time. It's incredible, uh, his production over the last five weeks since the, the game against Minnesota, four for 29. So I'm hoping for a breakout game against Devonta. I'm actually starting in both in my home league. Um, I don't, I would do not have utmost confidence in Devonta Smith. It's more of a start and hope and bet on talent in a game that, uh, should be Jalen Hurts should be able to do what he wants to do the air against, against the commanders. On the other side of the ball two, we've seen a separation begin to happen with Terry McLaurin last two weeks, 52% and 25% target share. Curtis Samuel banged up may play in this game, but ultimately I think who we're playing is Terry McLaurin and losing faith in this team's backfield since now they're getting Chris Rodriguez involved out of nowhere. Rodriguez, who has out-touched Antonio Gibson even, 11-8 to over the past two games. Yeah, Brian Robinson is a, is a strong sit this week. I just don't have confidence that the, the touch share will be there. And then obviously it's a really bad matchup against the uh, uh, very good Eagles rush defense. Uh, you mentioned Terry McLaurin. 
uh, last game against Philly, eight for 86 on 10 targets. He's seen, seen 10, 5, 11, and 9 targets the last four games and uh, seems to be, I mean, he's also kind of due for a touchdown. He had the one touchdown back in week two. So, um, he, you know, with 86, 80, 49, 81, and 90 yards in the last four games, he's certainly a player that's trending up. Feeling pretty good about him as your wide receiver two, wide receiver one in some formats, depending on how you built your roster. Um, but this is going to be a pass-heavy attack, I would think, from Sam Howell and, and the commanders. They're just not going to be able to run very well, have to throw the ball, probably will fall behind in this game. So, uh, you know, confidence in the, in the Washington passing attack, getting there at least in garbage time. Browns at the Seahawks. And my view off the top of the Browns' backfield is a lot like how I mentioned the Lions backfield being last week, is that if we got a full practice from Jameer Gibbs and we did on Friday, I did not think Craig Reynolds would matter at all. I view it the same with Kareem Hunt. If he gets a full practice by Friday, I don't think they want to use Pierre Strong, who's a special teamer. Even with Kareem Hunt being a game-time decision, true game-time decision last week, Jerome Ford was used in cash games on DFS because everyone knew Kareem Hunt would not be used they still took him off the bench and used him on the goal line because they don't trust Pierre Strong once Jerome Ford got injured in the second half. So that's the way I'm viewing it. But if Kareem Hunt is limited still throughout the week, maybe it is probably a timeshare and it's him and Strong splitting touches instead. Yeah, I uh, agree with that assessment. The I think the injury to Hunt really played into Strong's uh, eight touches uh, You know, after Ford went out. I don't think all eight were after he went out, but a good portion of them were. Uh, if Hunt is healthier, I would. I don't know if I would treat him in a Jameer Gibbs last week type role where he's seeing, you know, 80% of the touches or something like that. But I would, I would think a, a 65-35 type split is probably uh, more likely for, for Hunt and, and strong if, if Hunt is full by Friday. Any uh, changes I need to be aware of for the Seahawks wide receivers in your rankings because it sounds like we're getting DK Metcalf back and the theory about picking up Jackson Smith and Jigba and playing him was based on Metcalf playing. So it was easy to slide in once Metcalf was out. But against this Browns defense, I think, is our concern. Yeah, we've got a, a smaller passing pie because they're, they're facing a very good defense in the Browns. Um, Jackson Smith and Jigba helped me hit a $2,400 day at Yahoo uh, last week, which I was very happy to do. Yes, I'm, I'm now uh, independently wealthy. I'm just doing this for fun. Um, but, you know, I mean, that was a, he was only 9% owned or something like that at Yahoo, which I thought was uh, interesting. Uh, but it made sense to connect the dots there and put him ahead. And also Jake Bobo um, had a good game. Unfortunately, Tyler Lockett did not. So that, that's a bummer for Tyler Lockett managers. I know a lot of them at four for four. Uh, to answer your question, you kind of go back. You kind of go back to the same target tree with DK back if he's fully healthy. Um, with him in likely the number one role, Lockett number two, because it was just he's done it so many times before. And Smith and Jigba kind of going back to that wide receiver three role, which in a game where the passing game is not projected to do very well. Uh, makes them all tougher starts than they would be in a normal week. I would consider Lockett, who has only exceeded 60 yards in one game all year, more of a fringe flex play. 
Uh, I'm in a couple start sit situations with him. And like I'm starting Nico Collins, for example, I think has a higher ceiling than Lockett for sure. this week. For sure. And uh, a couple other players, Drake London as well. Um, I just think they're in better matchups. Terry McLaurin too over Lockett. Yeah, the nice thing about Lockett is that he does have these weird blow-up games. So if you do uh, start him, like he does it in weird spots too. So just just know that if you are starting Lockett, you do have that two-touchdown upside like he had in that game against Detroit at probably one week for people. And Amari Cooper is the only one I'm trusting personally across from P.J. Walker, even though it's even hard to trust him. Uh, David Njoku did pop with you know his his season-high rate of routes last week. But I, I just don't know if we can depend on P.J. Walker targets. David Njoku's two best games now have come from Dorian Thompson-Robinson and P.J. Walker last week. <laughs> I think you can look at Njoku as a tight end two streamer uh, in a spot where he's likely the number two, number three option in this passing game. Certainly Cooper, the number one option and the best your best bet against Seattle. I would start Kincaid and Trey McBride over Njoku. And speaking of Trey McBride, uh, Ravens at the Cardinals. Ravens offense, you know where the ball's going. You know they're going to destroy the Cardinals in this spot. But for the Cardinals, talk about Marquise Brown and Trey McBride and where, the, where you have them ranked. Because the issue is that we've just lost Josh Dobbs the last three games now. Back into a pumpkin. Kyler Murray, a week, I'm guessing two weeks away. I don't think they want to return him on the road in week nine against Cleveland. So I'm assuming he'll start at home in week 10. Could be wrong. But either way, we're close to getting Kyler Murray back. Uh, but your amount of confidence in Marquise Brown and Trey McBride in this matchup. Marquise Brown, uh, the Ravens are seventh in adjusted fantasy points allowed to receivers, so not a good matchup. It is a revenge game for him, uh, but that's the only thing that he has going. Uh, McBride, uh, the Ravens are second in adjusted fantasy points allowed uh, to tight ends. So these guys are both sort of like volume plays. You're hoping certainly not matchup plays. You're hoping that they can get there just based on the, the Cardinals having to, to throw and the Ravens, uh, you know, jumping out to a lead and, and creating the situation where they're, you know, in garbage time for most of the game. Uh, I wouldn't want to start either one, uh, but they're both serviceable as, you know, tight end two type for, for in case of McBride with Ertz sideline for the next four weeks. Uh, he, he was already trending up prior to this, uh, you know, thing with Ertz uh, popping up. So I, I would think McBride would be an almost every down player uh, for the Cardinals. And then uh, Brown is more of a wide receiver 3-4 type for me this week against uh, his old team. Gus Edwards in there if you want the running back in positive game script. Even though Keaton Mitchell was banged up last week, if he's healthy, maybe he plays a little more in this one. Also, quickly, before we move on, Mari DiMercato. I know he spurned us in week six, but we at least know these past two games, he's led the Cardinals running backs in snaps, and he's led the Cardinals running backs in routes run. And then this past week, 93% of their carries, 95% of their backfield touches. Uh, he's there every down back, assuming that usage from last week holds. So if you're desperate, as a touch-based option, I do think you can start Amari DiMercato and hope the routes get there since the Ravens have been stout against opposing running backs from the ground. Chiefs yeah. of the Broncos. Oh, go I ahead. just want to mention I picked him up. It was thanks to this podcast and, and knowing that he ran the most routes two weeks ago that uh, he got cut in my home league and I picked him up and just had him on the bench. But, uh, you know, he dominated uh, 
not many touches in that backfield. Uh, I think he'll do so again. It's it's not a good matchup, but he should, you know, get there potentially as a receiver. He could get four or five catches. And then a lot of people dropped him after he led the team in routes run. And I was thinking, right. oh, like Cardinal's still bad. Like he's still going to be out there. So we still have to keep him. Uh, so yeah, he's still out there if you want to go pick him up. I have him ranked in the waiver column if you want to check that out too among where I have him between Devin Singletary, the Rams running backs, and Chuba, Roshan, those kind of guys. Uh, for the Chiefs and the Broncos, my only concern is that the Chiefs defense is shutting out everyone and basically making no offense get there. Since since they've returned Chris Jones in week two, eighth in yards per play allowed, uh, third lowest explosive pass rate, and no offense has reached 21 points against them. So I have no amount of faith in the Broncos offense against the Chiefs this week. Yeah, I, mean, I think when we started the season, I uh, the, the I remember you talking about the Broncos offense, how efficient it was to start the season, but, you know. First month, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Casey is, uh, is second in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterback, so Russell Wilson's kind of a sketchy QB2. I think you're hoping that he has to have a lot of volume to try to, you know, stay up with, the, with Mahomes. He's, this is a game that Mahomes could – it's one of these w- weird ones that, sh- you know, shapes up like they could actually get there as on the back of uh, Pacheco. And, you know, Mahomes doesn't have to do a whole lot as a passer like he did last week. Uh, that was actually the the stack I had uh, Mahomes and Kelsey and my aforementioned uh, Yahoo tournament win. Um, I don't know if he's going to have to do it this uh, week, uh, but I do have him ranked top as my top quarterback just because of this matchup and the likelihood that he has a good game. Um and as for the rest of the Broncos, uh, I don't feel great about Javante Williams. I'm, I'm a little bit low on him. They're second in just fantasy points allowed to running backs as well. He did look pretty good against the Packers, but so does everyone. Uh, Sutton seems to be the number one option in the passing game. Uh, so the most confidence in him, but I don't have a ton of confidence in him. The Chiefs are fifth against receivers. So it's just the, the Chiefs across the board are playing really good defense. Sutton is the one I trust given that he is outscoring Jerry Judy by five fantasy points per game. A lot on touchdowns, but other than that, yeah, Javante Williams, as you mentioned, not necessarily someone you are trusting in this matchup, but at least last week, a season high, 18 touches, 62% of their backfield touches. See, uh, Samaji Piran has basically been an afterthought now in back-to-back games as they've tried to eliminate him outside of when they're trailing heavily. And Russell Wilson... I mean, we're only two weeks removed from him having 95 yards and two picks against this defense. So it's just a hard spot to get excited about outside of the the usual suspects in Kansas City. I am curious where you have Rasheed Rice ranked because we saw a season-high 65% route rate from him, and it's not going to go any higher. The Chiefs still rotate all their receivers, but as he showed, that's enough to get there every week from Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I think this is the best we're hoping for. I don't think we're going to... We had Tyree Kill as the last clear wide receiver one in Kansas City. Um, Justin Watson was out uh, last week. Rice ended up with 59% uh, snap share, which was his highest. Six, uh, five for 60 and a touchdown. He now has a touchdown or at least 72 yards receiving in three straight games. Uh, he's putting together a really nice rookie season. So I think you know he's certainly the most trustworthy other than Travis Kelsey uh, in this passing game. I don't think I'd really want to roll anyone else out there other than Rice. 
Bengals at the 49ers. And we are not going to have Brock Purdy, who is in concussion protocol late in the week, which means he sits. Where do you have Sam Darnold ranked? Because the Kyle Shanahan only uses system quarterbacks is about to be tested. For sure. And uh, I think you'll be surprised to learn that I have Sam Darnold at QB 13. I am looking at this. High, but I'm of... not surprised. We should okay. be high on him. That is yeah, high. Yeah, the... The uh, quarterback two rank, even though everybody's playing, the the QB two ranks are really weird. Uh, some of your good players that you'd like to stream usually have bad matchups. Some of your, uh, and then you got bad players with good matchups. So it's it's kind of a weird deal. I just have faith in uh, Kyle Shanahan in general. Dar- Darnold actually played pretty well for Carolina last year. He was four and two as a starter. 82 of 140 uh, for 1,143 yards, 8.16 yards per uh, attempt, seven touchdowns, three interceptions, and he added 102 yards and two touchdowns as a runner in six games and six starts. Um, If you look at the preseason with 49ers, which is the preseason, but still it's a nice little litmus test, 282 yards, 8.55 yards per attempt, 67% completion, two touchdowns, one interception, 18 yards as a as a runner. That's basically with 33 pass attempts in the preseason, three rush attempts. That's basically one game's worth of action for him. Uh, these numbers combined are a lot better than his career numbers prior to last year's season with Carolina. So I think Shanahan saw whatever he saw uh, Carolina and wanted him as the backup. They jettisoned uh, Trey Lance, and I think Kyle Shanahan knows what fits the system. Uh, so I think we should trust him. He's turned Jimmy Garoppolo into a serviceable fantasy starter. He's turned uh, Brock Purdy into a good fantasy starter. So I think in a weird spot this week, he's a one of my favorite. You mentioned uh, Derek Carr is your favorite streamer. Sam Darnold is my favorite streamer. Yeah, and that was before in the waiver wire column, we got the Sam Darnold news. I will say uh, I have faith in everyone with Sam Darnold because we saw without Debo Samuel, who's going to miss this game too, Exactly what we thought would happen. Uh, George Kittle, like last year without Debo, a 24.4% target share, 17.7 points per game. And this game, 24.1% target share without Debo, and he led the team in receiving yards. So we go right back to George Kittle. Not only that, but the Bengals and Lou Anarumo running the league's eighth highest rate of man coverage. And Brandon Ayuk is sixth in yards per route run with with 16.5 yards per catch against man coverage. Christian McCaffrey, too. The Bengals are the only team allowing over 17% of the runs against them to go for 10-plus yards, and McCaffrey clearly at full health after handling all but one running back touch on Monday night. So we know the usual culprits to play against the Bengals, and you just have to have faith in all of them since no one else is competing for their targets and opportunity. Yeah, uh, Ayuk, top 10 play. Kittle, top six or five for me. Uh, McCaffrey, my number one uh, running back. I think the other player you can look at is uh, you want Jawan Jennings. Uh, he, I think, led the team in targets last week with nine. So he's more of a PPR, maybe spot dart throw. But in a, in a week where I've got him at 56, so it's not like he's too high. In a week where everybody's available, he's probably not on anybody's radar. But he, he did see an uptick in snaps and targets. On the other side of the ball... The 49ers defense didn't lapse on Monday night. They still got pressure on Kirk Cousins on 35% of his dropbacks, but he was great. He was 14 of 16 under pressure. It was incredible. My concern is that I just don't know where Joe O'Burrow is coming out of the bye. Like, because going into the bye, 
He was dead last in yards per attempt, 2.6 yards under pressure. If that's the case again, then we get no pushback. Uh, so you know what you're doing. You're going to Jamar Chase. You're taking Joe Mixon's touches, even though like Josh Jacobs, they really don't matter. He's not going anywhere. But other than that, it's just uh, hopefully if he's healthy, he can get T. Higgins there. I'm just a little concerned in this matchup. Yeah, looking at Burrow's game log, it's, uh, you know, he does have the five touchdowns, two interceptions last two games, but one of those games was against Arizona, 317 yards passing, three touchdowns. Everybody does well pretty much against Arizona. It's against Seattle, 185 and two. Um, I think you're hoping that the two weeks off gets Burrow back to his usual self. The offensive line hasn't played particularly well and the pressure might be there. So they, they, Hopefully they've had two weeks to here to game plan. They're prepared for the pressure that the 49ers are going to uh, apply. Um, I do think that they the uh, Cincinnati's strengths as a passing team, in theory, with all the talent they have, does match up well with the 49ers' weaknesses, which seems to be at uh, defending receivers. And they may be able to put up some points, the Bengals, and make this a you know a high a high scoring game. And you know making the maybe like a Darnold stack uh, pretty appealing in, in DFS. Bears at the Chargers on Sunday night. I believe the Bears will cover because eight and a half points because the Chargers offense has not been the same threat at all without Mike Williams. Nowhere to go downfield, even though Josh Palmer has been great at earning targets. But I think everyone really wants to know where you have the Bears running backs ranked. And that's assuming Roshan Johnson comes back for this game. Yeah, your your comment about the Bears covering has me a little worried. I'm, I'm right now have the Chargers as one of my teams in the survivor pool here over at BetSports uh, for Super Bowl tickets. So I'm a little it's worried. Only, it's only because uh, their their defense has actually been respectable. Soft matchups the last three games I know against the Raiders this past week, Sam Howell and Kirk Cousins in his first game without Justin Jefferson. But still, 17 points per game, eight sacks in that time. Jalen Johnson and their linebackers have been playing significantly better. So my point is that the Chargers offense has gone backwards, whereas we now have a little bit more confidence in the Bears defense. Yeah, I don't want to live in a world where the Bears ruin my dream of getting Super Bowl tickets from my employer. Your worst case scenario, yeah. Yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll see what, I've, what I decide to do there. I was thinking about the Ravens as well as the other pick, but it throws things down, off down the line. Anyway, I digress. Uh, you asked about the Bears' backfield. I still have Foreman. I, I did add uh, Rashawn Johnson to the rankings today. Basically gave him all the secondary touches and yards. I downgraded uh, Foreman a little bit. I, I was one of the highest, I think, on Foreman heading into last week. I just had a lot of confidence in the matchup and his role in that offense, and he obviously delivered the overall RB1 uh, week. Um, but I've got him at 19 this week, you know, behind Josh Jacobs, James Cook, ahead of Kareem Hunt, Damian Pierce. Uh, it's a pretty good matchup against the Chargers, 18th and just fantasy points allowed to running backs. Johnson I have as a RB3, uh, about 37, RB3, RB4 flex-type play. This could be closer than this, uh, but I think with the way the foreman played, uh, they they have no need to just like push Johnson out there for 20 touches. So I think he'll probably you know ease him back in after the concussion. He had a couple weeks uh, where he missed, and he's still in the protocol. Uh, so if he doesn't play, uh, then Foreman will be a few spots higher uh, in, a, in a pretty good matchup against the Chargers, given how he played last week. And I know everyone was probably frustrated with 
Josh Kelly's 49-yard touchdown run, getting involved for a handful of touches behind Austin Eckler. But we are going back to Eckler in this spot because the Bears have had a great run defense all year long. But where they keep seeding fantasy points is to opposing running backs. 9.9 yards per catch and opposing backfields are averaging five and a half catches per game against them. So that's Eckler's calling card, not Josh Kelly's. So we're definitely believing in that. Other than that, though, you know, really the only splits we've seen from Tyson Bagent, who wasn't even running a real NFL offense, 2.6 yard depth of target. They just weren't asking him to do anything and instead leaned on the league's second highest run play rate from neutral game script. Having said that, Cole Komet has still gone away entirely. DJ Moore is surviving because he's seeing those scheme targets. Uh, what about Cole Komet, though, for you in the rankings? Yeah, I don't like him, uh, especially in a week where we've got everybody playing. You, there's got to be better options. I'd rather play McBride or Njoku, John Smith, uh, Gerald Everett, Michael Mayer uh, over Komet, just given I don't think Komet has seen a single target from, from Badgett yet. In, in a game and a half or whatever. So I uh, don't trust him at all. I mean, I have him ranked at 20, but even that seems like, you know, a bit of a stretch given some of these other options, Tyler Conklin, Hunter Henry. I think I'd rather run those guys out there. And finally on Monday night, don't watch it because the Lions are going to win by eight and a half points per my bets. Uh, that is the Raiders playing the Lions and pretty much what we thought would happen happened and that the lions we talked about it last week over the last month they hadn't played nfl competition and then they played the ravens who are a super bowl contender and their defense just cannot stop anyone but now you get this raiders offense that we have zero respect for we don't even know if garoppolo will play following his injury uh, i have faith in jacoby myers since the lions are allowing a league high in fantasy points per game to to opposing slot receivers where myers plays also, Devontae Adams is arguably still playing on this banged-up ankle that he keeps fighting through. So your thoughts on the Raiders' offense in this spot? Yeah, you mentioned Garoppolo. I think that's probably the key to – I mean, he's a, he's their quarterback, so I guess it doesn't make – you know, it's not great analysis from, from me, but he's the key to the, the, the – maybe the, keeping this game at least interesting for a while. Uh, certainly, he would support Devontae Adams as a – wide receiver one um, Myers has been getting there regardless it seems but um, yeah there's not a lot of like, things to love uh, about the I think they're gonna have to throw uh, the Detroit's a, a pass funnel Jacobs is has a tough matchup third and adjusted fantasy points a lot of running backs um, are the Lions so there is like some like volume perhaps pass funnel upside for Adams and and uh, Myers I think you have to start them uh, you don't have to start Myers necessarily, but you have to start Adams, even though Myers has been better. Uh, it really does come down to Garoppolo because we didn't see a whole lot of, out of Hoyer. I guess they could, you know, go back to O'Connell. Um, but yeah, the Lions are my other pick in the uh, in the uh, Survivor pool. I'm excited to watch them smash I, the, the Raiders. I don't week. even know why they started Hoyer. Came out of the half with him, and even in the first half, he had completed. He had 10 completions for 91 yards and a pick. The pick wasn't his fault. Josh Jacobs literally dropped it and it bobbled into the hand of the defender. But still, it, there's just no point. Like, you know who Brian Hoyer is. Uh, and then throwing Aiden O'Connell to the Wolves in the fourth quarter when you're down 31 to six. Nothing the Raiders do makes sense. Josh McDaniels will probably be the first coach fired. Unless the Chargers keep rattling off losses, then we have to be on the lookout for Brandon Staley, too. 
But other than that, no, there's just there's just nothing here. I only look at the Lions side because we know who's going to get the ball. Like we've now seen two starts for Jameer Gibbs without David Montgomery. He's handled 75% of the team's running back carries, 77% of their touches, and he's seen 12 of 13 running back targets. He's out-touched Craig Reynolds 38 to 8 in those games. So we go back to Jameer Gibbs in any game script because David Montgomery is going to be out this one. You start your lines receivers like a Moan Ross St. Brown, and then we're done with it. Yeah, I've got uh, Gibbs at four overall this week. I'm very confident in him. Uh, Vegas is tw- 29th in just a fantasy points allowed uh, to running backs. Uh, they're better against the receivers, but I think it's just because they're so bad against running backs. Uh, St. Brown is a, a really good play. Laporte is a really good play. Jared Goff's a great play at home. Uh, we've, we've talked about his home away splits. This is another good matchup against a bad defense. I think you you know, you know, got to start Goff this week unless you are sitting on one of the top six quarterbacks. Jameson Williams, too, to wrap this up, uh, encouraged by his usage, actually. I understand that zero catches on six targets, but a season-high 44% route rate, and he was targeted on six of 26 routes. Like, that's amazing usage. And now Marvin Jones, hopefully everything's going to be fine at home, but Marvin Jones left the team for personal reasons. So we think Jameson Williams has a, a much clearer path now to get there after Detroit's bye in a couple weeks. So would definitely keep Jameson Williams on your radar. Not that I'm starting him this game, but keeping him on the radar for after their buy. So they have two more weeks to work him in as a full-time player. Paulson with that, every game has been covered. Lots of question marks still out there for everyone. Any other thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, nope. Just check out sneaky starts. And if you have a start sick question, hit me up in the discord chat this, uh, this afternoon at two o'clock Pacific, five o'clock Eastern. I will also answer start sick questions in the Discord, not on Twitter, because that's crazy. Imagine going on there. And DFS show, remember, tomorrow, Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, myself, TJ Hernandez, and Pat Corrine, which I still feel like, unlike Arthur Smith, you can learn a lot from about your start sit matchups just by listening to how we analyze DFS matchups. Until then, good luck to everyone. Week eight, get that win, and remember, be a little bit kinder than what's fine. See you next time.